It's 1001 LA Nights. This is LA Rivers with you. And I'm super excited to be supporting the writing community of Twitter with this podcast. You know, this podcast started out as a way for me to just have fun and write my stories and read my stories. And it kind of was a way to keep myself accountable in my writing. And my mom would listen to it and some of my friends would listen to it. And then I joined the writing community of Twitter. And wow, what an amazing group of people. And I love reading aloud as much as I do writing and I love supporting people. So what a great, it's like peanut butter and chocolate, right? So what is happening now, this podcast is taking amazing direction in that I asked for submissions. You are continually submitting to the podcast and you do that at 1001LANights.com. We're keeping submissions open right now. I want a spectrum of writing, whether it's poetry whether it is short stories, flash fiction, um, all genres are great. Um, that includes erotica, as long as it doesn't involve uh, rape, rape as a plot device, uh, because that's not erotic. That's that's its own thing. Um, fight me. Um, I don't do racism. I don't do sexism. I, unless you're highlighting a problem. Um, we don't do excessive violence on the podcast, mostly because I have an extremely vivid imagination, and that's why I read so well. And so, um, you know, it, it, keep it in the bounds of civility, let's put it that way. And so, here, in general, I'll be reading the stories, but once in a while, I think it's great to let an author read their own work. That's why on February 22nd, Alicia Howard will be reading from her story, and I'll talk more about that as we go along in the month, but uh, she is an amazing African-American author out of Chicago, and she'll be reading it because she has vernacular that needs to be expressed authentically, and isn't it important that people have their voices heard and represented. So as a person who believes in inclusivity and diversity, uh, I decided twice a month I want authors from diverse spectrums to read their own stories. So if you've got a story you want to read to the world um, and it really takes your voice to do it, I want to know about that. Uh, so let me know if you come from um, you know, another country, if like, like I can't do an Australian accent to save my life. Right. Um, but if let's say you're from the Middle East and you're writing Middle Eastern stories, I can do a fair Arabic accent because I speak Arabic and I lived in the Middle East, but you know, it's better if it comes from you. If you're from Africa, if you come from the South in the United States, if you are a New Yorker, if you, um, are wanting something represented and there's language represented that maybe I don't speak. Maybe you're from Norway. I don't know. Maybe there's a way for you to express yourself here. Um, you know, so I'm just kind of making a point that sometimes it's best if an author reads their own work. And, um, so if twice a month, Twice a month, I want to have an author showcase, and also twice a month, I'll be interviewing people. So this month, I will be also interviewing Alicia Howard and Zach Riley from Australia because Zach is a buddy of mine, and he's funny and he's amazing and he does cool stuff that's a little bit different, and um, I love his work. So that'll be fun. Uh, today's reading 
is a fabulous story. Uh, I did some pre-reading on it. A lot of times I don't pre-read and I just completely read it cold and I discover the story with you. Um, but Clive and Clyde Andrews of Australia is the author and he kind of gave me a heads up. He said, you know, if you're, if you laugh too much, let me know. And I went, oh, oh, I better go read this so I don't end up laughing and snorting on, on air. And oh my God, it is the sweetest love story ever. And it is very funny. Um, it is an amazing gay romance as Clyde has said on Twitter. And it is, it is all about love. And February is all about love, right? Cause it is Valentine's day month. And, um, and you know, love comes in all shapes and sizes. So I'm really excited to read today, uh, enough blue sky to mend a sailor's trousers by Clyde Andrews. This, again, is an inclusive podcast. So if you don't like inclusivity, don't listen. If you do, hey, do us a favor. There's a couple of things you can do. Tweet this out. If you found this on Twitter, tweet it out. Get it onto your other social media channels. Um, You know, tell people about it. Because the more people that hear the writers in our community, um, their stories, the more books they sell, the more stories that get published, the better we all do. When, When one of us does well, we all do well, right? So let's support each other. That's why I'm doing this here at 1001 LA Nights. Uh, Speaking of support, I do have a Patreon for as little as two bucks a month. You can keep uh, the podcast up on air. Patrons get the podcast ad-free and um, there's all sorts of other fun goodies. Right now, my own story, 1001 LA Nights, as it's in development, is going up both as a recording and as a PDF. And there's some other fun perks, such as uh, if you join at the higher level, you get membership at half the price to Align Network International, which is an amazing support network for creatives, where we help you develop your projects, learn your marketing, um, and build a life that has meaningful success. It's not about getting to six figures, it's about getting to happy. And that might include six figures, we don't rule it out, but it's not the drive. We, we work on the inside out, and um, at the, the highest patronage level, you get membership to that. Plus, if you're an author, you get me doing an audiobook for you, and that's not a cold reading, that's a full-out audiobook, and it's only 22 a month. Um, and you, you do that after uh, two months of membership, then you will get your audiobook up to uh, up to 60,000 words, up to 60,000 words um, to, to have and to hold fully edited and really cool. So uh, that is all I've got to say about that. Um, for ad-free listening, make sure you join Patreon at uh, my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash LA, uh, 1001LANights. You can follow me at, on Twitter at Knights underscore LA. Without further ado, let me get to Clyde's book. And it is Enough Blue Sky to Mend a Pair of Sailor's Trousers. And that is by Clyde Andrews. So we'll see you there.
Hey, just a real quick note before we get to the reading. This is L.A. Rivers here. When I read, I read cold. What does that mean? Well, a cold reading is when a reader, actor, anybody reads through something um, fairly unrehearsed. So I haven't read through the whole manuscript. I've read the first couple of pages to give it a great start. Um, I'll do a couple of takes just so I get through the first little bit without errors, but there will be stumbles and there will be mistakes. That's part of the deal. One, I want to show you that you don't die when mistakes happen. Two, this again isn't an audiobook. So I don't charge reading fees um, and I do try to represent the work as best as I can here on the podcast. So that's just a little note to let you know what happens when I read. And uh, so get something cozy, get relaxed, just chill out or warm up wherever you're at. Um, Enjoy the story because that's what this is about. It's about bringing stories to life. Enough Blue Sky to Mend a Pair of Sailor's Trousers by Clyde Andrews 1. Dave Brockman died by being hit by a bus, of all things. Like his life, it wasn't a particularly interesting bus either. Red, double-decker, 16 people on board, all of whom were navel-gazing at the time of the accident, including the driver, so it would seem. His funeral was worse. Aside from his best friend Joshua, only five relatives turned up, three of which he hated. He was sure they only attended to eat the free ham and cheese sandwiches. The other two were his kids, the ingrates. He didn't expect his ex-wife to show. She'd be busy gagging on her lover's cock in the room behind the photocopier at work. It was quiet, a quiet Wednesday afternoon. After the funeral, Dave found himself in a massive hangar with rows and rows of chairs set out like a doctor's waiting room with decades-old magazines on wonky tables and dying potted plants randomly scattered about. A middle-aged man glared at him. He was fat and bald with a wispy comb-over and had rosy cheeks. The beige diamond-printed cardigan and crooked paisley tie was too much. He was death. Dave knew this because the man said, "'Hello there, Dave.' I'm death. He wasn't what Dave expected for the being who supposedly ferried on the recently deceased to their appropriate destination. You were expecting heaven or hell, weren't you, Dave? I was expecting a black cloak, skull face, scythe. Yeah, probably, to be honest. Such a sight would have comforted Dave more than a badly dressed public servant holding a standard-sized clipboard and a blue big pen. Then again, death form was familiar, like someone Dave could have worked with when he was alive, someone he could have a cup of coffee with during breaks and nod at knowingly by the water cooler, that sort of thing. Perhaps grasping for the familiarity of why from that day humans were born, they begin to die. For you, this persona is much friendlier. Death supplied unclipping forms off the clipboard. Besides, you have a big decision to make. I do? Yes. You see, you got it all wrong. I did? You screwed up big time. 
I mean, it's not like we didn't tell you what you had to do in life, now is it? What? Dave seemed put out now as if dying wasn't inconvenient enough. When did you do that? On the placenta, we show very clearly the purpose of your life and how to achieve it. I mean, all you had to do, Dave, was find your soulmate, get a job you liked, and retire a philanthropist. Not hard. On the placenta? Now Dave was annoyed as well as bewildered. How was I supposed to read anything on that? I was a fetus, and it was dark. Death tutted, and then shook his head. There's always excuses with you lot. I mean, you had nine months. Plenty of time. Dave couldn't believe what he was hearing. If he had known what waited for him after he died, he would have tried to avoid it. Well, at least the bus at any rate. Looking at his ex's Instagram account update could have waited until he crossed the street. Those photos would still be there. What was his name? The lover with the donkey dick? Death clicked his fingers. Dave, stay with me. It's not difficult. Sorry, I was miles away. Yes, thinking of your inadequacies. Dave blushed. Now... What it boils down to, seeing as you couldn't be bothered reading the instruction you were given, is two choices. Dave tapped the pen, Death tapped the pen on the clipboard's metal clasp, pausing for effect. You can sign a release form or a waiver form. What's the difference? Dave asked. I'm glad you asked. And Death really was. The words dripped bureaucratic venom dry and cold and scary. The release form enables us to return you to a time of our choosing so you'll have the chance to get it right. A time in your life, that is. Why the hell would I want to go back to my shitty life? Why would I want to live through that again? You've seen it, haven't you? My job, the kids, the ex, him stuff like that for a choke? What's the other option? Death didn't seem perturbed by the interruption. You made that life what it was by taking the easy options all the time. Now the waiver gives us permission for you to give up your eternal soul so that you can go beyond the waiting room. Dave was about to answer, ready to sign the waiver. But before you decide on the waiver... Death added with a cruel smile. There's one important thing you need to consider. For someone who achieved nothing with his life, hated everything he was or what happened to him, there'll be no memory for you beyond here. In other words, signing the waiver will mean you truly die. Think about that. There's a seat over there. Was it really my fault things happened the way they did with the ex and the kids? Dave thought. Could I do it again so I get it right? Then again, just when I believed all the crap was over and what happened in my life would no longer matter, I'd be able to finally rest in peace. Either way, I'm... Dave grasped for the word to put his thoughts into context. He could only pluck out one from his mind. Scared. Death handed Dave the forms. Dave looked around the room. 
He hadn't noticed before, but it was packed with people, hundreds of millions of them sitting on the rows of chairs that went on for eternity, all clinging desperately onto their paperwork. Adolf Hitler, Hitler. Adolf Hitler sat in the third row on the far right, a vacant chair next to him, the only vacant chair. Dave did not want to sit next to Hitler. What would happen if I didn't sign any of them? Dave didn't exactly want to make any decision, but he knew he didn't want to be stuck here for an eternity wrestling with his conscience about what to do or lose his eternal soul either. It was the only thing he truly owned from his miserable life. Death's eyebrows shot up like rockets. You're better than that, Dave. Trust me. Have a little faith in yourself. Would you trust a weasel with a chicken's egg? Dave thought, but instead said, How can I trust you? I can't even trust myself. I mean, I've made all the wrong decisions all my life. (laughs) So why would I start now? Besides, no one even cares about me. What's the point? Are you sure about that? A small ember of thought ignited at the back of Dave's mind. Someone had cared for him, but... I don't know if I am, because the one who did care, the person I'm thinking of... How can that work? Death's lips formed a knowing smile. Why don't you find out? Sign the release form. Go on. Dave scribbled his signature on the form. His previous thought became fanned by the prospect of the possibilities that awaited him. But how could he? The room faded into darkness. When the light entered his eyes again, Dave was sitting in his mother's kitchen, come diner. His family gathered around. A cake sat expectantly in front of him. On it, in blue icing over thick white frosting, were the words, Happy 16th, David. The same number of candles burned above it. In the farthest recess of his mind, Death's voice echoed, I'll only give you one shot at this. Before your information, you will know everything from the time before you came to see me. Make it count, Dave. Make it really count. Find the one who cared for you and leave all your doubts and prejudices where they belong, sitting behind Mr. Hitler. I'll try. Dave blew out the candles. Felicity Kendall smiled at him from the other side of the table. Dave's heart skipped a beat. He remembered this moment from the first time around. After the family had left and his mother and father were cleaning up, he led her to the cupboard under the stairs where he proceeded to grope her breasts while trying to get his tongue as far down her throat as humanly possible. She'd slapped him across the face. He rubbed his cheek in the memory. Everyone gathered for his birthday now seemed to be stuck in time. Felicity's face was constrained contorted in a weird way as she was about to bite into a slice of cake her button nose crinkled in fact it was as if the pause button had been activated on reality even the motes of dust stopped dancing in the beams of light from the window <clears throat> that's not what you want to do again is it mr brockman a female voice said right in right at his ear dave turned to face her the woman kneeling beside him looked familiar 
so much so that he knew he'd want to go to her house after school and have high tea complete with cucumber sandwiches and cream and jam scones and then chat about the weather and describe all kinds of rain that was common this time of year drizzle sleet mizzle soaker window washer the woman was his dead aunt mabel incarnate how and what are you talking about well i'm mother time the lady replied matter-of-factly, and my services have been called upon by death to encourage you to think about that thing between your ears, not your legs, young man. She waggled her finger, just like his aunt used to do. Hopefully, this time you'll get it right. You must have made him laugh until his posterior fell off by your pathetic existence previously. I amused him, I believe. I'm sure you did. There was silence. Did you... Uh, Dave swept his hand in a general gesture. Do this? Mother Time rolled her eyes. Obviously. Now listen here. There's no time for idle chit-chat, Master Brockman. Her emphasis on the word time, almost ironic. I've brought you to this moment in your life for a reason. Now think very carefully. What do you want to do next? I don't think I want to do it. I don't think I wanted anything to do with Felicity Kendall. Perhaps being with her was the start of it all, Dave said carefully. And you'd be right. Mother Time's eyes sparkled over the rims of her glasses. Two. When time returned to the drudgery of one second after another, Dave found himself in his old high school gymnasium. Crowds cheered from the stands, girls with oversized pom-poms danced, and the coach's veins looked as though they'd explode off his temple as he gesticulated wildly while barking orders at his team in play. A garish banner with an anthropomorphized picture of a cat squeezing a basketball and holding an expression that looked somewhat like a cross between anger and constipation read, Go Wildcats, 1986, large and vivid across the far wall. It was the final game of the season and a week after Dave's 16th birthday, the day he met Nicole, his future ex. Dave's stomach churned to to ice as he thought about that for a moment. He realized one thing right then. He wished he'd never met her. Damn her perky tits. But Dave blinked, back in the moment that had been prepared for him, waiting to be substituted into the game along with three other lads. Dave thought about how the itchy jersey and tight shorts of his school's basketball uniform remained as uncomfortable now as it had ever been. He desperately wanted to scratch away the discomfort. It was as if a swarm of mice frightened by the cat on the banner had decided to take shelter in the space between his chest and groin. Before he could attempt it, a kid next to him said, Close game, eh? Yeah, Dave grunted in acknowledgement. He knew the Wildcats would lose in the dying seconds of the game from a late three-pointer by the opposition. Well, at least their soccer team, the Preston Pagans, would have better luck this year. He scanned the gymnasium to see if Nicole was there. She wasn't. Yet. Suddenly, Dave felt a slap against his rump. 
His best friend Joshua had come off the court, sweating but smiling with confidence. Joshua always slapped Dave's backside. Dave never minded. They're bloody good, Joshua panted, sweat on his brow, his cheeks ready. It'll be a miracle if we win this one. Coach is going to get have a coronary for sure. I'm sure he will, Dave agreed, knowing that the man would indeed kick the bucket soon, not because of teenage boys soaked in hormones losing a basketball final, but because the man had decided the reality alcohol gave him was better, except when he'd get into his car that fateful night three months from now, and it hit him harder than the tree. You going on or what? The kid who spoke to Dave before asked, interrupting him from his thoughts. You go. The kid ran enthusiastically onto the court to replace Joshua. Meanwhile, Joshua had grabbed a plastic cup of water off the refreshment table, guzzling it down seconds later. The noise of him quenching his thirst wasn't diminished over the din of the crowd and rantings of the coach, and his Adam's apple bobbed to keep it up. When Joshua's thirst was satiated, he turned to smile at Dave and it was a smile more puzzling and deep than that of the Mona Lisa, and a little more crooked, as one of his eye teeth seemed out of alignment with the other one. Dave shivered, but he wasn't cold. He couldn't help but realize he was staring at Joshua like one of those stupid, even-toed, ungulate mammals did when they were confronted by headlights. Dave also found that no fault through no fault of his own other than the sudden burning curiosity that he was tracing the line of Joshua's upturned nose with his gaze then watching intently the little rivulets of sweat winding their way down his neck in fact he was getting so caught up in Joshua's presence that everything else seemed unimportant even the imminent arrival of Nicole it was like time now stood still which of course it did again It was no wonder Dave was staring. Joshua was a statue, as good-looking as any one of those Greek ones at the museum. But unlike them, he was wearing a little bit more than an ivy leaf over his genitals. Thankfully, or not, Dave couldn't decide, which was a common theme with him. Death had his work cut out for him, Dave mused. He looked around, searching for mother time. It seemed a ridiculous and impossible prospect, like trying to find a fart in a bubble bubbling hot tub where would one begin to look for time it was strange to see everyone's frozen expressions especially those of the players who were in the midst of obtaining the basketball off the center bounce most were in mid-flight and all had their arms and legs in unnatural positions they looked like they were scattered pigeons of trafalgar square caught by the invisible wires of time's sudden vacation One of the boys in the substitution queue, however, wasn't stopped by Mother Time's will. Instead, he came to to face Dave, springing up and down like a jack-in-the-box, tripping on the kind of drugs police keep for evidence. He was as tall as Dave, had blonde unruly hair, and a galaxy of freckles over the bridge of his nose. Youth ruled his body, but his piercing wild blue eyes held eternity. "'I'm fate!' the boy said, his bubbly enthusiasm of his voice tainted with the sorrow of forever. And I think it's time we had a little talk at this important crossroad. Don't you think, dude? He slurred the word dude to emphasize it as a grown-up would to make themselves sound cool to the younger generation. 
At that moment, Mother Time strutted across the court towards Dave like a lace and floral pattern tsunami, not dodging the human statues she created, but going right through them. Now, now, fate, don't be too harsh on Master Brockman. This is his first big decision, and we're here to help him. Decision? Fate questioned, pirouetting on the spot, still bouncing around like someone who drunk too much coffee before eating. The dude wouldn't know what a decision was if it asked him out to dinner, or if he got up and it hit him on the arse, or if you just put him in a red dress. We get the idea, Mother Time scolded, but yes, it's decision time. Look, here she comes. Mother Time pointed and then snapped her fingers, and Time returned to the linear familiarity most humans take for granted. Nicole came into the gymnasium at the same time the coach screamed something incomprehensible. His booming voice sent a boy off the court chastised. Then there was a timeout. Dave, however, missed the substitution again. He was so caught up in the events unfolding before him that playing in the basketball game now seemed like a moving... like moving the deck of chairs off the Titanic and placing them onto the iceberg, equally pointless. Thankfully, another kid in the line jumped onto the court, a red-headed lad with too much knees and ankles for his own good. He tripped. Joshua sighed. Dave turned to look back at fate and mother time. He didn't doubt the others in the gymnasium couldn't see them, which could end up being a blessing or a curse. Fate said, you can't even decide to play in the game or not, can you, dude? I'll say you're the king of no decision decisions. He stuck out his tongue. Dave was about to answer with something sarcastic, something that would have no doubt put fate in his place if Dave could have actually organized it in his mind quick enough for it to roll off his tongue when Nicole waved at him. She was standing under the banner. She was smiling. All retorts were quickly forgotten after that. This was the moment. The one where he'd gone over to her, all puppy dog eyed, to ask her out in the hope of seeing how good her lips would look on the end of his cock. Her expertise in such matters and other carnal pleasures had a strange effect on his mouth because after only a few short months of them being together, it blathered the words, will you marry me? The rest Dave knew all too well. The bus had done him a favor. Fate began to cartwheel. When he'd traveled most of the court in such a manner, he turned to the crowd, pulled down his pants, and mooned them. Dave was spared the sight of Fate's bare buttocks. Seeing anyone else's wouldn't have worried him. He'd seen Joshua's plenty of times in the change room. But to see Fate's as ancient as time itself and probably as weathered wasn't on his current to-do list. Mother Time rolled her eyes. So, what's the decision I have to make here? Dave questioned, somewhat confused. But he believed he already knew the answer. It was obvious, wasn't it? Fate had returned from his childish gymnastic interlude. He soon had his arm around Dave's shoulders, leaning in like a Cheshire cat. Why, it's the ultimate decision, dude. This will be the decision you were instructed to make before you got yourself into this situation. You get to choose between the easy way or the hard way between lust or love of course make the right decision this time you will or i won't just moon the audience i'll give them an eyeful of my dick and believe me that's a sight dave wasn't concerned with fate's hollow threat i don't understand i thought all this was about 
deciding whether or not I'm going over to Nicole to introduce myself and ask her out. Dave realized he hadn't waved back at Nicole. Mother Time let out an ant-like guffaw, one that reminded Dave of the time he'd mixed up the dessert spoon with the cocktail fork at one of the high teas he had attended with her, his aunt that was not Mother Time. Dave did, my, Dave's mind clouded with even more confusion. It's not that simple, Master Brockman. It never is. And if you'd read... And if you read all that stuff on the placenta, you'd know, fate chimed in, a universe of possibilities held within his gaze. He then did a backflip. Dave blinked. Three. When Dave opened his eyes after the nanosecond of them being closed, the briefest moment of relief from what was unfolding, he found himself at a house party, the one that happened the night after the basketball game. It was supposed to be a celebration at first, but now it was really awake. The front lounge room alone was packed with somber-faced teenagers who stared into oblivion or made small talk about how things could have been while disco music blared. Then again, Seeing moody teenagers was like shooting fish in a barrel. You couldn't miss them. Mother Time and Fate were there too. Fate, in complete contrast to everyone else, was jumping up and down on one of the sofas as if he were a child compelled to test out his parents' new furniture for its capabilities as a trampoline, while Mother Time sampled the fruit punch. She was undoubtedly checking it for suspicious content because that was something his aunt would have done. Just then, Joshua handed Dave a glass of said punch. Thanks, Dave said. Joshua winked. Dave managed to smile at that. The beverage was sadly lacking in alcohol, which was evident before he sampled it, because Mother Time was smiling. Although, from what Dave remembered, some uninvited Neanderthal type with more knuckles than brain cells had a large flask of vodka hidden in his jacket. It wouldn't be long before the fruit punch and vodka would become married. Then the wake would get really sad. Nicole was there too, because Dave hadn't gone to her after the game, as he had the first time around. She had continued on with her life, which basically meant doing whatever she could to get herself laid. Dave knew that intimately, because from experience, her knickers didn't even need a second shot of the Neanderthal-infused punch to encourage them to drop to her ankles. Dave swallowed, his ton- tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth, but not for the reason he would have believed. Looking at her this time, something was different. Something wasn't right. Strangely, he felt sorry for her. Also, he didn't get a hard-on you could pinch a- pitch a tent on. There she was, surrounded by several hopeful boys, giggling at their inane jokes. Had he been like that when he was around her? So lust-filled? Dave's stomach churned until he felt dizzy. He had to hold on to something, but only found the unhelpful weakness of air. The punch dropped to the floor, the undrunk contents deciding it worked better all over the carpet than inside the glass. Joshua grabbed Dave and supported him. You okay, buddy? At that moment, naturally, fate decided to put in his two cents. Dude, I hear she can suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Bet you remember that, don't you? Dave felt like he was about to puke. He did remember. 
which of course was part of the problem. Lust was fine, but it had to be backed up by something of substance. He'd never laid the foundations of that substance with Nicole, even when they were married. All he ever felt for her was lust. It wasn't fair to her. His weakness of lust was the reason they grew apart and she'd had all those affairs. It wasn't even fair on the lust-fueled children they'd produced, hoping it would fix things between them. Are you sure you're okay? Joshua repeated. You've got all flushed and funny looking. Here, let me help you to a chair. I think you need to sit down. Dave realized he hadn't answered yet. I'm fine, really, I'm fine. But the words fell out of his mouth like they were newborn chicks not ready to fly from the nest, splattering all over the pavement below. Dave didn't feel right at all as the reality of realization came crashing in around him. He could only keep looking at Nicole, mentally distancing himself from her, saying goodbye. Joshua must have followed Dave's stare, with a voice tainted with sadness and regret, his words like drops of ink staining water. He said, You like her, don't you? Nicole, I mean. Well, his dick liked her once upon a time, Fate interjected, jumping off the sofa and landing skillfully by Dave's feet. Oh, that'd make a great fairy tale. Once upon a time. No, no, it was a dark and stormy night when a lonely homeless dick decided it. Mother Time had stomped over to Fate's tirade. What have I told you, Fate? Stop teasing him and let him come to his own conclusions. It's very important he gets this right. You don't want me to put you over my knee and spank you now, do you? I might like that, Fate suggested. Mother Time visibly shivered. But Dave had come to a decision, finally. I I don't like her. Not anymore, Dave said to Joshua. Mother Time smiled. See, it takes him a moment, but when he gets it, he shines. Don't you, Master Brockman? That's good, then, Joshua said, his expression brightening. It won't last long, Fate sneered. He'll choose the easy way out going with his lust. You mark my words. Isn't that right, dude? You like it when your little dicky does the thinking for you, don't you? Is there anything I can get you, buddy? Joshua asked as he, after he escorted Dave to the closest seat, ensuring he was comfortable by placing a cushion behind the small of his back. Dave was vaguely aware of how caring Joshua was, but never took much notice of it. Not until death questioned him about it anyway. In fact, at his funeral, Joshua was the only one who had showed any emotion by Dave's passing. Dave's mind wandered over the pages of his past life. Then, within a heartbeat and back in the here and now, Dave didn't know who to answer first. Yes, I... what? No. Having a three-way conversation when one of the participants didn't know what the others said, or even that they existed, was getting confusing. Dave felt like a policeman guiding traffic after the signals had failed at a busy four-way intersection. There was going to be a car crash real soon. If you want anything, just let me know, Joshua patted Dave on the shoulder tenderly. That Mona Lisa smile on his face once more. There was something about his touch, his look, that made Dave's spine shiver with electricity as if he were being infused with the spices of life like how a master chef would add his own personal touch to turn a dish a dog would refuse into something served at a Michelin star restaurant. 
All right, buddy? Yeah, all right, Dave stuttered. All of a sudden, Dave could see in crystal clear color instead of the black and white of his world before this moment. It was Joshua who did that. Fate smiled. If anyone thought an eternal being disguised as a teenage boy looked good when he showed happiness, they hadn't seen what Dave just witnessed. It was horrific. Fate's expression became a mess of a billion wrinkles caused by eternity's crawl on his skin. It was wrinkled skin no amount of rejuvenating face cream could counter. What Fate said next was even scarier, especially as he held the infinity he commanded within his grasp to reinforce the words. Soulmates aren't burdened by gender. And then, and there was the car crash right on time. Now you're being too obvious, Fate. Mother Time scolded him. By the great amorphous being in the sky that humans wage war over. First I can't tease the dude. Now I can't be too obvious with him. Make up your mind, will you, lady? You're stressing me out. This must have been the final straw for fate, because he went back to jumping on the sofa, sulking as if he really was a scolded child, arms folded, glowering, his bottom lip stuck out. Dave couldn't help himself. He had to put his thoughts into words. He had to speak them so they might, in some way, reassure him. But Joshua? He's... How can I... He's a... Now Joshua looked as confused as Dave felt. What was that, buddy? I feel you need one more turn of the clock, Master Brockman. Mother Time gave Dave her full and undivided attention. Her comely face was reassuring all of a sudden. She snapped her fingers. Time stopped. The house party scene looked bizarre, with boys and girls frozen in poses that made them look as if they were fish being slapped together. All except Joshua. He was standing alone by the kitchen kitchen breakfast bar fixing Dave another drink before Dave could find comfort in that it was if that was what it was he felt he couldn't be sure everything faded to black four When time returned to normality, Dave found himself a week from Tuesday, or so he believed. A hospital towered in front of him. He hadn't been here before, not at this time of his life anyway. Dave was still 16, and things were happening differently now. Fate stepped out of an ambulance that had just pulled up into the emergency bay. Fate bounded flourishingly out of the vehicle and completed the landing with a ballet-like precision and a look of pride on his face. He bowed to put the cherry on top. "'There you are, dude,' Fate said. Dave smiled. Fate was growing on him ever so slightly. "'Yes, Fate, I'm here.' "'I suppose you're going to ask why.' "'Why?' Dave replied expectedly. "'You'll see.' Just then, a stretcher was pulled from the ambulance's back swing doors by two paramedics, urgency in their movements. Dave's heart leapt into his throat, constricting his voice and strangling strangling his mind as he saw who was on it. It was Joshua. What had happened to him? Was he all right? Dave went numb from his eyebrows down, only to only worry lines froze into his brow. He stood there, frozen like Mother Time had kissed him with her touch, suddenly lost and afraid. Fate looked forlorn. Dude, 
He's been hit by a car, not badly, but enough to give him a fractured femur and a concussion. What? Car, hit by, broken femur, concussion. Fate replied with a smarmy, childlike voice, loud and slow, as if he were talking to someone who didn't speak his language. I heard you. I just don't remember Joshua being hit by a car. Was he? Think harder, dude. Fate wasn't growing on Dave any longer, but Dave's thoughts turned to the time Joshua went away for the whole summer break that year, a week or so from the basketball final. Now, Mother Time climbed out of the driver's seat. Had Joshua been in this accident instead of going away with his family as Dave had been led to a belief? His parents never told Dave anything to the contrary. Guilt swiped at him over and over as if it were a cat toying with a stricken mouse. How could he not have known? Then he knew. He had been too caught up knocking up Nicole. How selfish. Damn him in his lust-filled ways, not caring about how others were or how they felt or even how he felt. It was a hollow life. Dave swallowed hard, finally being able to manage it. I think we'd better get inside, young man, Mother Time suggested. It's going to rain, and I don't want to call him old man weather. He's too busy snoring, and if you wake him, heaven help you. Dave blinked in a way that had become all too common lately, one that he believed conveyed his disbelief on what had happened to Joshua, his anger at not knowing about this the first time around, his regrets for not visiting him, and his stupidity for not putting it all together. It was one hell of a blink. Dave felt something he'd never experienced in his life before, not even on his wedding day, not even when his children were born, not even at his funeral. He felt the need to make a decision, an important one. This could be dangerous. When Dave opened his eyes again, he found himself in the ward where Joshua had been taken. It was visiting hour, somewhere between two and six. He couldn't understand it. Hospitals seemed to play by their own rules, none of which had anything to do with people, especially the sick. Fate crawled out from under the bed. Mother Time sat beside Joshua on the only available chair, a hard plastic thing that did nothing for posture, and in fact probably cut off the circulation in one's legs. She didn't even seem to mind. She was knitting a scarf, one in his team's colors. What a waste of time, Dave thought. Then again, she was over 14 and a half billion years old. She could spend her time however the hell she liked it. Besides, an uncomfortable chair was probably the least of her worries. Fate stood next to her. Are you all right there, Master Brockman? Mother Time asked. Fate, as annoying as a spoiled brat of a child, inserted his usual brand of wit. The dude's fine, but now he's contemplating where his lonely little dicky will find its home now that open her legs at the drop of the hat, Nicole, it's out of the picture. I am not, Dave snapped. He balled his fist and heat rode up through his neck to his jaw. And besides, Joshua is way more than that to me. He's always been... He's my, my, Dave couldn't believe what he was about to reveal even to himself. He's my soulmate. Yes, that's it. He's my soulmate. There, the decision. The important one was made. Mother Time grinned in the only way she could with the power of the Big Bang behind her. Death did this for you to show you that a person you love someone you truly love and care for is someone who is worth far more than the parts of them that are underneath their underwear to make you realize that love is blind 
boundless, holds no prejudices or conditions or physical limitations, and is reciprocated equally. She paused for a moment, letting her words wash over him and have a chance to settle, her knitting needles clacking. Death also did it to encourage you to understand that love can be unexpected, needless, and contain many things to complete its recipe, including lust. But it is never the other way around. It doesn't hurt to lust after another, as you did for Nicole. But there must soon be more than that to build a relationship, if a relationship is what needs to grow. Do you understand now, Master Brockman? Dave knelt beside the bed. I think I do. Joshua looked peaceful, but not to the point where the nurses would rush in with concerned looks and distorted voices would blare over the public announcement system. Some sort of emergency was happening in Ward 3, Bed 15. Instead, the machines that were connected to him beeped happily. His tousled hair was matted from the blood that oozed from his scalp that had now been cleaned up. His left leg was in a plaster already, supported and suspended by a comical amount of infrastructure mounted to the ceiling. Dave grabbed Joshua's hand. It was warm. The electric sensation coursed through him once more, one that jolted him with the beauty of life, reminding him of the thin thread that held it. Dave tightened his grip. He didn't want to let life go so easily ever again. He made up his mind. Dave, is that you? Joshua said through the bleariness of morphine. He looked quite happy, very happy in fact. Yes, Joshua, Dave answered. It's me, good old Dave, right here for you. You know, I think the dude finally gets it, Fate said with a sigh. Mother Time harumphed. Took him a while. Better late than never, Fate said. Good. Are you staying long? Joshua asked. Only for the rest of my life. And this time it'll be a life worth living, Dave thought. Joshua smiled, crooked and fitting for what he'd been through. I knew it. About you, I mean, I, I've always known, and I'm glad we're going to give it a shot, you and me. We are, aren't we? Dave looked at fate and mother time in return. Nerves battled for supremacy within him, but he swallowed them down. Yeah, yes we are. Finally, fate said, clapping his hands and jumping for joy in that limbs akimbo way only he could master. He flashed his buttocks. Dave had been right. Fate's arse wasn't pretty. You're such a child. Mother Time's voice had the force of a quadrillion suns burning bright within it. Hey, I'm older than you. Fate replied with a shrug. His demeanor then changed, his face hardening. Don't forget, it was I, Fate, who decided when time would begin. They began to argue, but Dave ignored them. This was about him, after all. What will happen to Nicole? He interjected. Joshua had closed his eyes, slipping back into sleep. He obviously hadn't heard Dave's question to fate and Mother Time. If he had, he'd be confused. Dave wouldn't have blamed him. Mother Time replied, She will be blessed with many children. But most of all, after she becomes wise to herself, she will be loved and cared for, just as you will be from now on. Dave hated to ask, but needed to know. Who is he? Fate grinned like a jester, who, which was appropriate for him. 
that dude, Robert Fitzpatrick. The redhead? The lanky one with the knobbly knees and big ankles? One of the substitutes at the game? The very same. Fate winked and then added cheekily, But jeez, dude, that Robert Boyle faint every time he gets an erection, his dick's a damn darn python. Not like yours at all, is it, Davy? Your man Joshua will need a magnifying glass and a pair of tweezers, you mark my words. Dave didn't fall for Fate's tease. Very funny. But he smiled at Fate, and Fate replied in kind. Mother Time wasn't so taken in with Fate's jest. Be that as it may, Fate... I think we have more than established that a person is more than a, yeah, yeah, I know, Fate groaned. The dude here knows. We all know. Man, I was only having some fun. You do know that, what that is, don't you, lady? Wow, time has really sucked out your sense of humor, hasn't it? Dave stifled a laugh. You just wait until death hears of this. He will not be amused either, Fate. Fate folded his arms, pouting. At that moment, Joshua woke again. His voice slurred. You're still here, Dave? I thought it was a dream. You were here with me. Turns out it wasn't. That's good. No, it wasn't a dream. Dave leaned over and kissed him on the f- his forehead. His skin was clammy, but Dave wasn't worried. Joshua would be all right. I'm here for you. Do you need anything? Dave added, emulating Joshua's words to him the night of the house party. No. I'm okay now. He sank back into sleep. When Dave turned around, he witnessed Mother Time and Fate fade away. From then on, it was one moment at a time, but no longer was the phenomenon Dave's enemy, enemy stalking him like he was prey only to give him a grisly end at the front of a double-decker bus after a miserable and loveless life. Now it was his friend, revealing precious moments, one after the other, to share with Joshua giving them meaning, giving them purpose, blessing him. Dave blinked. Death was in the room, holding his clipboard and big pen. Death! Dave cried, startled. Hello, Dave. What brings you here? There's one more form for you to fill out. There is? Of course. Death handed him the clipboard to Dave. It's the rate your experience form. Something that will only take two minutes to fill out. Oh, I almost forgot to mention, you don't mind if I record your voice for training purposes, do you? Dave was dumbfounded, as it was common in Death's presence. Um, sure, yeah, whatever, I suppose. He looked at the form and the many pages of it. It was going to take more than two minutes to fill out. Dave began ticking the boxes. So, how did you find the experience? Very good. What was the result of your satisfaction? Yes. Dave looked at Joshua again, and warmth overwhelmed him right to his soul. Very much so. Death wiped his brow. That's good. All I have to say, just between you and me, is that Caligula fellow wasn't too pleased with his experience. He had to check... He had the check... He had the cheek to give me, me, a negative review. It wasn't my fault. He only wanted the horse. I mean, Dave didn't hear the rest of what Death said. As soon as he completed the form, all in favor of the result, the life he had before he met Death began to fade away, his memories of it leaving his mind as they were migrating butterflies heading for their summer home. Dave welcomed that. Life wasn't about what had been, but what could be. He closed his eyes. When he opened them, Joshua was, Joshua was smiling up at him, crooked eye teeth and all. 
A faint memory tickled the back of his mind about his aunt in a jester and a middle-aged man in the waiting room holding a clipboard, but it was quickly gone. The sky on the horizon was blue. Well, that was a fun read. What a sweet story. The difference between lust and love. What a beautiful explanation our author Clyde Andrews put into that story. Um, It was sweet. Really enjoyed it. I love a sweet story. I'm a hopeless romantic. It is February and it is the month of hearts and flowers, isn't it? It's Valentine's coming up. Um, I will be sorting through all of the many wonderful submissions that have come into 1001 LA Nights podcast and be looking for some other sweet stories. Not everything will be sweet though, because February, you know, not everybody has a, a true love and not everybody's looking. And some people want a little bit of um, grit. Some people want a little bit of horror. Some people want a little bit of darkness. We'll go there too. Uh, There's some great stuff coming up this month in February here on 1001 LA Nights. You can support us in a couple of ways. We love supporting the authors who are writing these amazing stories. So one, share the tweets. If nothing else, it costs you nothing. Share the tweets from the podcast. Um, Get to follow the authors. Support them in this way. Buy their books. We'll have links on the blog soon as we get those posts up. And I'll be tweeting that up. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Nights underscore LA. And be sure to share out my tweets about the podcast. The more people who hear about this are exposed to these wonderful authors to keep us up on the air and making it so that I can sit here and take, you know, a couple hours to record. uh, Be my guest to be my patron on patreon.com forward slash 1001 LA nights for as little as $2 a month. You can make sure this podcast keeps happening. You get some special perks, including my own writing. Um, I will say I'm not half bad. I got my first byline at 12. That's another story. In fact, that's a story I'll be telling patrons on 1001 LA Nights very soon about how I got my first byline. It's actually a pretty funny story. Um, I pitched a newspaper and uh, all on my own. (laughs) So back in the day. But anyway... Thank you so much for listening. Um, Make sure you're tweeting each other's tweets out. Get involved. Communicate with another, one another. You know, it's not enough just to like each other's posts. And it's not just enough to follow people and unfollow or what have you. Social media is about being social. You want people to read your stuff? You got to go read theirs. Make comments. Support people. Because when... One person does better, we all do better. We can all pull each other along the way. I'm L.A. Rivers, and I look forward to seeing you on Twitter and around the rest of the interwebs.